Dr. Catherine Burr. I'm the Vice President of Programs and Education for TGR Foundation. You are probably as impacted as, as most, if not more so, from this coronavirus pandemic and the time that we're spending working out of our homes. I see just like you can see behind me, we're not in our traditional offices right now. Uh, talk to us a little bit about um, just maybe the, I've been asking my guests lately, what's been the, when did, when did you know, when did you kind of get the feel that it wasn't going to be business as usual at the foundation? Oh gosh, you know, this is starting week three of work from home for yeah. TBR Foundation. And I would say uh, the Wednesday of that week um, before we went on break, uh, went on the break to work from home is when I, I started gathering my staff together and said, you know, we really should start thinking about what happens to us if students are kept home from school and aren't able to come to our programs and uh, if we have to shift everything virtually we should start you know really thinking about that and, and literally you know two days later uh, actually it was the next day we had uh, a school that was coming to the program at the learning lab in Anaheim and uh, they got a call while they were there and they said hey you guys need to get get back to campus and uh, uh, today's the last day and you won't be coming back. So um, that was a pretty abrupt ending. And then we had one day, kind of that Friday before, to kind of prepare and prepare staff for the work from home, um, got them set up with the right technologies and those types of things so that they could work seamlessly for the most part from home. And off we went. How many centers are there now for in the Tiger Woods Foundation or TGR Foundation now? I'm still going to call it Tiger Woods Foundation. That's what it's been <laughs> when I met you, and I like TGR, but yeah, it's just you know old old habits die hard. Sure, no problem. Um, uh, we have the main uh, campus is in Anaheim, California, right. thirty-five thousand square foot facility on fourteen acres, and then we have uh, satellite programs that work out of uh, public and private and charter schools across the country in Philadelphia, um, at the Marine Corps base at Quantico, down in, in Stewart, Florida, and in Washington, DC. So altogether, there are six campuses um, that we work, uh, we work out of and, uh, and, and support. So of those six campuses, how, overall, how many students have been impacted by, by this, would you say? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, from Anaheim alone, you know, uh, several thousand, wow. tens of thousands of kids here in, in the local area, uh, as well as across the country in, in Washington, D.C. And, and in Philadelphia. Those are big markets. Uh, although we work uh, specifically on a particular campus, you know, there's a few hundred kids, you know, that are impacted by uh, just not being able to come in and take advantage of the resources that we have. Yeah, I'll come back to that in a little bit. Tell me a just a little bit. Let's just for those who are not familiar with the TGR Foundation, um, kind of what is a day in life? No, it's after school. These are kids that are coming over after their their classroom time is done during the day. I know the Anaheim facility, which I've been to many times, is right there next to the golf course. I know, obviously, given you know who the founder of the foundation is, that golf plays a part in this, but I'm guessing it's not a requirement. You probably have a lot of students that maybe have never even touched a golf club, I would imagine. Tell me how golf plays into this, though, for those that are active golfers and, and kind of tie the two together. Well, I think you touched on it a little bit. I mean, the biggest connection to golf is our founder, uh, mm -hmm. Tiger Woods. And if were it not for him, we wouldn't have a TGR Learning Lab and, and all of the different programs that are su supported by the foundation. Um, but when we first started out with the Learning Lab in Anaheim, that was, you know, number one. Right. It really was his brainchild. He wanted to have a place where kids could come after school and have uh, access opportunities like he would have had as a young boy. And, and he really just wanted to have the chance as a philanthropist to see and feel and touch his work firsthand and, and be able to experience it. And so uh, in the process of finding a location, we landed in Anaheim uh, next to a golf course called Dad Miller, which is a public uh, city owned golf course. Uh, but the land is owned by the County of Orange. 
uh, and uh, kind of how it all worked out is we had an interest in uh, the property. Somebody from the Board of Supervisors said, hey, you know, the lease is coming up on that land. Let's work on a deal with the city, which we did, and very grateful to both the county and the city to create that space where we could offer um, education and academic programs. And the fact that we could offer a little golf component was really a, a nice bonus piece for yeah. that. How often does he come by the center? I know he's on the East Coast where he lives now, but I know like any professional golfer, they travel a lot, but do you see him much or does he get out to, the, to meet with the kids much at all? You know, he, uh, he does. He comes out, you know, certainly when the tour is, brings his work out this way for sure. sure. Um, he's also really invested in our scholar program that was named after his dad, Earl, Earlwood yeah. Scholar Program. Um, he is serving as a mentor to a student who's at Stanford right now um, in his second year. And so he is really, you know, quite involved in wanting to make sure that um, our programs have depth, breadth, and are able to last a, a long, long time well after Tiger is uh, retired and hangs up those cleats. Hopefully not for a long time. I know that uh, being able to honor his father, who most of us know was his, his hero, um, has to mean a lot to him. Can you talk a little bit more about the Earl Woods Scholar Program? And you said that the current scholar is a sophomore at Stanford. Uh, tell a little bit about that if you could. Sure. So when we opened the Learning Lab in 2006, uh, we opened in February and Earl was, was sick at that point in time, and he went on to pass away a few months after that. Um, many donations came into the foundation, and after some consultation with the family, we decided that we would create this Earlwood Scholarship in, in name, um, that Tiger matched all of those donations to kind of create a nice little endowment for us to you know, continue to run, uh, run that program. I'll tell you the interesting piece is that it, it started out really thinking about, you know, we're going to help, you know, high needs kids from different communities get a chance to go to college. And what we found out really quickly was that kids who have financial need have lots of other needs and, and support systems that they need in order to not only get into college, stay in college, and then transfer to the workforce. So uh, our, we talk about our program is more than just a check. Uh, scholars will tell you as well that one of the most valuable pieces is they get that mentor who can help them answer questions, navigate college life, um, na navigate the workforce, and that is a pivotal, uh, important part of, of what we have to offer. In addition to helping them get internships and just help them learn how to stay in, stay in school. Can you talk, I want to come back a little bit to that and obviously dive deeper into everything that the foundation does. But I think to understand the passion behind this for you, I'd love to dive back into your upbringing. I'm assuming, you know, with your education and background and what you do for a living, maybe I'm wrong, but my assumption is, and you can clear, clarify this for me, did you grow up in a home where education was important or... What has education meant to you and your family growing up? And when did you really, lots of questions here, but when did you really get that feeling that, you know, not only education, but nonprofit and, and why this? Oh, gosh, yeah, there's lots to unpack there. And, yeah. um, <laughs> I would say education was always important in, in the Burr household growing up, for sure. I grew up uh, in California, uh, in Whittier, California, um, and... Uh, I knew I was going to go to college. I knew I was going to have those opportunities available to me. Uh, and I was very lucky, I think, to have the experiences I had. When I was in fifth grade, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. And uh, so I kind of, and I kind of stuck with that all the way through high school as well. I knew I wanted to teach, which was really a little bit out of character because I was a pretty shy kid in, in general. Um, but I, Ended up going to Cal State Long Beach for my undergrad um, and majored in physical education, got my teaching credential, uh, and then went through the process of working uh, in LA Unified and then in Monrovia Unified uh, School Districts. Got my master's degree at Azusa Pacific, so another great California university, and then uh, ended up taking an assistant principalship in Orange County at Vista View Middle School. 
and stayed there for eight years, moving offices and becoming a principal. And uh, gosh, about the time that I was uh, starting my fifth year, or I guess almost my sixth year as a principal, um, I was finishing my doctorate in education from USC. And uh, a friend of mine sent me this job posting for something that you know, Tiger Woods Foundation was looking for, uh, this, you know, to run this learning center. And uh, they they really sent it to me as a, a joke because I grew up playing golf and oh nice yeah uh, they just thought well ha, educator ha, who likes golf here you go right yeah that's yeah. right and I read it and I thought you know this is really interesting and at the time I felt like you know, I'm young enough that you know if things didn't work out I could get back into the you know public K twelve system if I wanted to but I really thought you know when in education do you get an opportunity to really be creative and roll up your sleeves. And, and most importantly for me, it is really, um, and it kind of goes back to that piece about being shy. I, I really felt compelled to make sure nobody ever felt like they didn't belong or that they were bullied and didn't feel like they had worth or value. And so I, I think the opportunity to, to serve that high need community was something that has always been in my ethos as an educator. And um, this really just gave me a great opportunity to to kind of stretch those muscles. Do you remember early on having a mentor who maybe was a teacher or a teacher in particular that you think back and think that's the one that really triggered this shy girl wanting to become a teacher? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I've had lots of really great mentors over the year and I think, I think we all get mentors, right? And, yeah. and uh, they stay and change and uh, expand. I had a, a really great principal that I worked for when I was in Monrovia Unified. And actually that whole administrative team in Monrovia was really quite talented and ahead of their time in terms of how they handled and worked with staff. Um, and, and I think, you know, uh, you know, it was different when you're, uh, when you're shy as a kid, you just, you're trying to find your way and, and, you know, I, I went into college knew, knowing that I wanted to teach. I had a chance to coach uh, as well and, uh, and play on a golf team in college as well. And I think all of those experiences and the people that you meet along the way, you start to develop, uh, develop who you are and build confidence in who you are as well. And I think, you know, for me, it was always about, you know, taking advantage of the opportunities that come in your way you know and yeah. all of those mentors have helped me by putting uh putting things in place for me and opportunities for me to explore and uh, see what i can do and you know i'm blessed with a great family and uh, a mom and dad that you know said whatever you want to do yep. you know you put your mind to it and you can do it yep. which i'm sure that's a lot of what you're doing now which i, I love when i see that i love when i see how things transfer from how we're raised to what we can now do in our lives. I oftentimes think about how, you know, one of the greatest compliments I receive is that I remind someone of my parents. I can't think of a better compliment. My dad's 93, my mom passed three years ago, but I get every now and then in the, in the community, I run into people who knew her because she was a career counselor, predominantly for women at uh, UC Irvine for a couple of decades. But when I hear that about my dad now, too, it's like, you know, it makes me feel really good. And not that I go through every day trying to make dad proud. I'm 55 years old. You know, those days are still here, but it's not my first thought every day anymore. Sorry, dad, if you're listening. But I do want to impress you, but that's not my main goal. And he knows that. But now you get that opportunity to, to lack of a better word, and it's cliche to pay it forward, to take the mentorship and leadership you've been given and now transfer that to other kids. What do you look for? Um, how to ask this question? You're around so many youth. You have been as a middle school, you know, as a teacher, as an assistant principal, as a principal, and now in your role for the last 16 years at the foundation. You certainly see something in, in kids where you can just kind of recognize, I'm sure by now, this kid's got leadership potential. Is there anything that you see that if you could draw a common denominator there, and I don't know that there is one, but I'm curious from an educator standpoint, if there's something that you see early on in, in some of these kids where you just think, yeah, they get it. Well, I think that uh, it really boils down kind of to the adults that have crossed paths with, with people, I think over the course of their lifetime. 
you know, some people come from, you know, great families and have that support system in place. Some people get that support, maybe not in their family, but through, um, could be through their church or uh, some kind of youth group that they're, they're involved in or a teacher. And to me, uh, you know, our, our role as educators and human beings really is to help young people identify that potential and, and really help them build their own agency to follow through and, and be successful. I've seen and been part of lots of amazing success stories of sure. kids who, um, you know, maybe didn't look like they were going to make it and uh, were it not for the opportunity that, you know, our paths crossed. I'd like to think that, you know, I, I had some influence in showing them something that they could do quite well and help uncover uh, potential that they they had. I, I can think of a, a young lady that I had as a, she was in my PE class when I was teaching and she was hell on wheels. Let me tell you, she was a tough kid and, um, uh, but bright and smart and fun and, uh, but really kind of on the fence of what she was going to do and who she was going to become. And the fun part was, I know, I know where she is now. She's actually just recently retired from the Air Force, uh -huh. um, but had a really successful career there, um, went on to work as a nurse. Um, and, you know, I, I feel really good about what happened to her because I think anything could have happened to her, but sure. I'd like to think that, you know, we had a chance, even in the school where I was working at the time, we made a point of making sure that we not only recognize the kids that were doing fantastic work uh, academically or through their sports, but also, and probably more importantly, the kids who were uh, turning their lives around and were improving themselves in some way that, you know, was tangible. And I think that's just as important today as the accolades that one gets for, sure. you know, most, most valuable player. Yeah, those are those are great, but especially those success stories where they come from, from not nothing or where they come from nothing, but they have to come a long way. I was raised in a, a middle class home where you know I'm, I didn't have to go that far to be successful. And like you, mom and dad telling you you can do anything you want to do. Um, there are a lot of kids a lot less fortunate than you and I were, obviously growing up. So it must be very rewarding to see see them come from out of the ashes, so to speak, as we like to say. What is it that excites you about what you do? I know you love it. <laughs> I do love it. Yeah. Um, I, so I guess what, I, what excites me is just those transformational stories that you see. Um, they, they come around uh, more and more often every year, which is tremendous. Um, and it, they switch, right? I was a teacher, so I got to have kind of that one-on-one -on -one, mm -hmm. uh, experience with kids. And now I see my role almost having that same kind of influence and in, uh, making that same impression on the staff that I work with and the staff who gets hired to work with, with us at TGR Foundation. And um, I think that's where I get the most joy is watching them grow and come into their own and become leaders in their own right. And sure. Uh, you know, really take on new projects. And, you know, I'm incredibly proud and, and blessed by the folks that I have uh, working for us at TGR Foundation, for sure. What do you look for in, in people that you hire? I know I've, I've, I've watched a lot of the videos on the site and I've, I've seen and, and met some in person and some on video and talked to a few others. Is there a, uh, I guess maybe I'll go back a, a step what, what would you say are the core values of the organization that you, that oftentimes that's what we look at when we go to hire someone is we want to find someone that's a match? Well, it's interesting. Uh, we have core, core values and so now you put me on the spot. So let's see if I can. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to quote them. Yeah. Well, I think the first one is that it's somebody who will own it and will be accountable for decisions that they make and, and the things that they do. I think that's, that's uh, a critical piece. It's somebody who is, you know, sometimes you, you make mistakes and it's like, just own that mistake and let's move on, you know, as opposed to, you know, trying to cover it up. Um, 
people who like collaboration and will look for opportunities to create synergy. I think that's another really important important piece. So kind of interviewing people to understand what are their experiences with working as as part of a team. Uh, you know, there are very few jobs, if any, in this world that people work independently, really. Yeah. They all require the opportunity in, in to, to work with other people. And I think that's an important piece. Um, they have to be able to embrace diversity, different, not only, you know, uh, male, female, race, those types of things, but just differences of opinion. Sure. And um, be and backgrounds open. Backgrounds and, yeah, exactly. A absolutely. I mean, I think those are uh, super important things. Um, but uh, now I'm leaving two out, but <laughs> That's I'm going okay. to rack my brain. Uh, I know. I, I didn't, I didn't uh, prepare you for all the questions I was going to ask. And it wasn't to put you on the spot, but you know, the, the authenticity that you bring to it is, is what I think I, I love the most. It's every time I've talked with you, the passion that you have for what you do and the why, and I'll get it. That's we'll, we'll wrap with the why a little bit later, because yeah. I think it's already going to become very apparent as we go through this conversation. Let me go back to Tiger just for a second. I mean, I know that he, I've talked with him once and it was on a driving range at a tournament and it wasn't a conversation that he would remember, but it's Tiger Woods and I'm at heart. So I'm going to remember that obviously. But what struck me was at the driving range, it was before his tournament that he used to host out at uh, uh, Sherwood Country Club. And I used to go every year to that. Uh, a couple of my clients would invite me. And so I always tried to make sure that I got there early enough on one of the practice round days to really interact with some of the players. And I, was, I think I was wearing a USC polo shirt and he had a Stanford polo shirt on the same day and Stanford had just beaten us in football a few days before. And so he made a nice fun comment when he saw my shirt and that sparked a little conversation. And I was impressed and I wasn't surprised by it because I followed him since he was a kid, but I was, I was impressed with just how eloquent, eloquent he is and how he treated people around him and, and I know that when the time comes for him to be serious on the course, he's serious, but he also has a great personality and sense of humor. And that comes out in the videos on your website and in a lot of the things, especially as he's maturing. Um, can you talk to, to us a little bit about him as a leader? I know you interact with him. You said he's not out there every day, obviously, but you've been there 16 years. I'm guessing you've had a few interactions. What do you see in him as a leader that inspires these kids besides the fact that he's such a great golfer? Yeah, such a good question. Um, you know, he's very visionary and, mm -hmm. and, and doesn't seem, seem barriers to things. You know, I think he's always looking for the workaround, you know, and you see that in his game also. It's right. like there's, there's no impossible shot. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just a way to work yourself out of, you know, situations and, and so on. And so I think his persistence and really um, – you know, demonstrating every day, really, for all of us, you know, how you um, create opportunity is is really the key to our success organizationally as, as, as well as him, you know, is really, you know, where are the opportunities and understanding it. And I think, um, you know, you mentioned earlier, our, our, you know, we had a name change and a brand change from Tiger Woods Foundation to TGR Foundation. And, and that was really at his request. Uh, he is building this foundation to be something that sticks around for a really long time, well after he, you know, leaves this earth. And in order to do that, it needs to be associated with itself, that it can stand on its sure. own. So, you know, three pillars for us are, you know, having the right mindset that we can do and will do anything possible. That uh, second is mastery. Um, Oh my gosh, I know I'm going to, I'm going to drop. <laughs> uh, mastery is really that you work hard at everything that you do and that you're successful. And oh my gosh, I can't believe I can't believe the third M. Mindset, method. I'm sorry. Mindset, method, mastery. So mindset is that you go into something uh, knowing that you, you can make a difference and you can, you can do this. So you have to go in with the right mindset, be positive and, and, and do what you need to do. Um, you need to have the right method in place in order to be successful. So making sure that, uh, you know, all that we're doing is sound, sound advice and that, we're, and that we're keeping pace with the time. We're using the right method. And then mastery, we're working to perfection always. Yeah. And it's, it's, not a, it's not an end goal. It's, you know, it's a destination. You're always kind of working towards um, 
becoming a master at your craft and what you're trying to do. So I think he really sets the vision for us uh, as an organizational leader. And, um, you know, when Tiger talks, you know, people do listen. And sure. it's, it's not just his presence. It's because he has really good things to say. And he has such a wonderful heart for people mm -hmm. and really wanting to make a difference. It's in his soul, you know, of who right. he is, I think. Well, and I think that mindset method mastery applies to his golf game. I would imagine that that is probably something that he grew up on, knowing the relationship that he and Earl had and have. I'll, um, I'll speak as, it, as it's present tense because we still learn from our, our parents who have passed. I know I learned from my mom still to this day. But you can see it in his game. I, I, I jotted those down because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow those shamelessly as I go forward and talk with teams and so forth, I, I think I, I love that because you really have to have the right frame of mind, but you have to have, it's the old frame or the old phrase, practice makes perfect. My golf instructor, I took golf lessons all through teenage years, played a little bit of college golf myself. He would say perfect practice makes perfect. Practicing bad things just makes you better at bad things. Yeah. Having yeah. that mindset first, like Tiger talks about, is so important because you got to get your mind into that right frame. And then right. that, that method, you know, what is the right method? And then you, then you master it. You don't want to master mistakes. Right. So it sounds like that, what he does on the golf course and on the driving range and in the gym applies to his leadership style in, in the foundation and corporate America and off the course, obviously. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think if you have that method, you know, he's got his system for how he practices and prepares and, and so on. It's very much ingrained to who he is. And with that, he knows that if mastery means I have to do something different, I have to change my mindset, I know how to get from mindset to mastery because I, I have a good consistent um, plan of attack for how I'm going to practice and, and get myself in shape for whatever's coming next. Sure. Now you talked about yourself as a golfer. You played in college. I did. Um, how did. How did your love for golf start? Oh my goodness. So both of my parents played golf uh, when I was growing up. I have three older brothers and rather than stay, stay at home with them, uh, you know, I wanted to go to the golf course with them. They played on the weekends on Sunday in particular. And so uh, I remember going out as young as five, you know, playing, uh, you know, playing golf. And then I grew up playing the junior ranks and so on uh, over time. So golf's been in my blood my older my one of my older brothers played at usc um, several years ago as well but and my mother will tell you and i know she'll listen to this podcast mm -hmm. by the way so you're talking about who listen sure uh, she's 91 she will tell you that she played golf up until the point she was nine months pregnant with me so she takes complete credit for my game <laughs> that's right you, you were you were just on the golf course from from negative nine months on through so that's fantastic i love that yeah, I was raised in a golf family as well. My dad, actually, when I turned 12, he was at a point in his career where he said, okay, we can afford for you to have, I'm the youngest of five, so the spoiled child, as, as they would say. Um, you can have lessons, baseball, piano, guitar, golf, swimming. I said, wait, golf? Was that one you just said? Because I knew my dad golfed, and he was my hero, is to this day. And so, yeah, so I found the right instructor, and the rest is history. Just love the game, still love it to this day driving by golf courses right now and not being able to get out and play is, is pretty tough. Are you, do you still play a lot? I don't play as much as I'd like to, but whenever I get a chance, it's funny. I actually have a putter in my office at work. So uh, my staff will tell you, I will, when I need a break and I, I just need to think through things, I'll just putt down the hallway even. Uh, or you're putting around the office as they say, literally, right? Right. That's pretty cool. I love that. I love that. Talk to me now about how our listeners and viewers can get more engaged with. I know that you, like most of us, are thinking of kind of out-of-the-box ways of doing business because we're forced to. We found out over the weekend or, you know, when this airs a couple weeks down the road, as of yesterday, at the time that we're recording this, we found out we're going to be going at least till April 30th, probably longer, I think most of us believe. Um, you can't do business the way you normally do business. None of us, most of us, some can, most can't. Um, how are you adjusting and adapting this way now? I know we talked a little bit before and someone on your team was sharing with me as well that 
you're looking at sort of, sort of some out of the box ways of doing business today. So can you talk a little bit about what you're doing and what your thoughts are there? Sure. So as soon as we met the first week, first day of the first week uh, of work from home, we talked about uh, our audiences and who would be, uh, who we would be missing, but also who would be missing us as well. Um, we do a lot of work with teachers, both in school and out of school time teachers, and uh, they really look to us as a resource for them to improve their practice. So we hurriedly in that first week put together a, a uh, webinar um, inviting teachers to come and participate in, uh, in a webinar on instructional practice uh, as well as help them understand if they were going to be going to this virtual world of teaching online and Zoom like this, like this yeah. um, what could we do to help offset some of those uh, anxieties that might be out there? So we put, a, uh, we put a piece together as well on how to, how to use Zoom, kind of the basics of that. Um, we did this piece on um, integrating different types of technology within Zoom. So you could actually incorporate, you know, free technologies that are available for questioning or whatever it might be that you're trying to do with your kids. Um, and then we turned our attention to the student audience that we knew we were missing as well and decided that we would try to roll out a series of design challenges for families. Mm -hmm that would give them a chance to do some things together as a family that isn't school-based in particular, um, but is fun and engaging and gets them to talk and problem solve together as a family. And we tried to um, uh, bring that in with lots of commonly found items around the house. Uh, so we've posted all that, all that content yes. up online. That was all just week one. Uh, there was a yeah. lot of work done. In, in so you responded work. quickly. That's good. A lot of us were more yeah. in shock or denial or even anger, but you guys were responding and, and jumping right in. That's fantastic. And that's continued to today and will continue. You know, we're, we've got plans that move us into the next six weeks. The, the interesting piece is we knew that we wanted to build out this digital strategy. It just turned out that the timing of it yeah. is right now as opposed to really, you yeah. know, it's not that it's not thoughtful. It's just like, okay, here's our quick, you know, low hanging fruit, what we can do right now. And let's, you know, activate as, as quickly as possible to, to make these resources available um, to our different audiences. Yeah. And I noticed too, we, we actually have a, um, one of the family businesses that I work with closely is called teacher created materials down in Huntington beach. I'm sure you're familiar with who they are. Yeah. I got the thumbs up. I'll give you that as well. Um, I think on the same day or within 48 hours of each other, and it was probably, maybe there was some, some synergy there between the two of you. You both were putting out resources for, for parents to really get in, because now we're all homeschoolers. You know, there's a great video going around that you may have seen of a woman praying and saying, I am, a, I am not a homeschool teacher. I am yeah. not a cafeteria lady, and it just cracked me up. But that's kind of the common feeling, I think, around the world right now, not just Southern California, California, United States. I think in the world, because we're quarantined, if you will, everywhere, that we're all having to teach our kids or getting to in some cases. And, you know, Some of us look at it and go, wow, this is awesome. Others are like, when do they go back now? When's the calendar? When are we doing this? But tell me about the decision to put your resources up online for free for parents to, to use to teach their kids. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, everything. And where can they get that? If, if someone listening is looking for some great STEM education materials, lead us sure. there as well. So if you go to tgrfoundation.org, okay. you'll get our website. And right on that front page, um, we have exactly what we're working on right now. The design challenges are up there, easy to get to. There's a link for teachers that can click out to TGRADU Explore, where we have lesson plans and activities. Um, that they can use with their classes. There are also activities that students could do at home, particularly in the area of um, college access and financial aid. There's a lot of high school juniors who are going to be faced with, this is the time when they start thinking about their senior year and where they're gonna go next. So um, we have some resources online right now that you can use to help uh, kind of navigate that process and also start thinking about you know how what does the affordability model look like for 
for me when I start thinking about uh, school. But going back to being the teacher at home, uh, something I shared yesterday, and even with my own staff, is now is not the time to panic. And there's not a teacher right. out there that's expecting you as a parent to do everything perfectly in the way that they would. Um, most of our middle school and high school kids are probably fairly well positioned. They know what to do. They do need structure. And so parents can provide that structure for, hey, get up in the morning, get your routine, get dressed, and all of those types of things. The younger kids are a little bit harder. I, I just tell people, do three, three things without fail. Make sure they read every day. Make sure they write something every day. Even if it's a journal, you know, yeah. or take a look at, you know, what's happening in the world or ask them to write three questions that they have about the day or something that they saw online or outside or whatever. It's a great way to get them writing. And then finally, um, just do some math fluency. Even if you just did math facts, that, that works for anybody and you don't have to have a computer to do that. Uh, and really should, I think, hold everybody over uh, and be in pretty good shape if they could do those three things pretty consistently. Yeah, and if, if I venture into your waters for a minute, because I don't have the experience, one of the things I might add is just take time to stop and think. And that could be the reading or the writing, but I'm a big believer in that solitude, you know, going up to your mountain or going out to your desert for even five or 10 minutes. And if we can get our kids, I have two grandsons that live here with us. And um, I think my, my daughter and my wife do a really good job of making sure that they're getting those three in. But that quiet time, get off the tablet, get away from the TV or the iPhone. And, you know, yeah. that stimulation is necessary and I get it. But boy, that quiet time sure is, is powerful. Yeah, I think, you know, it's been really interesting during this COVID-19 moment is even when I go out to walk my dog or the number of people that are on the street walking yeah. with their families or with, with kids. And it's like, you know, what a great opportunity to just get to know one another on a different level and ask questions, you know, and just, you know, what do you think, what do you think causes that? And just yeah. encourage that conversation. It's just so critical to their overall growth and development, to students' overall growth and development, just having those simple conversations. And I think we just don't think about it that much. I think it's, I, I, I yeah, my belief system is that there's, there's a reason for everything. And uh, certainly I know, you know, there are deeper reasons behind this, this virus, which are not good uh, and, and the problems that it's causing. But the silver lining in this is families getting together, uh, people having convert deeper conversations to, to your point than maybe we had. It's a very superficial society that we live in. It's very easy to say, hey, how you doing? And you really just mean, I see you. I'm going to move on now. But now how you doing has a deeper meaning than it used to because we're not just passing you know, even in the store, I went to pick up dinner the other night at a local restaurant here trying to support our, our local family businesses out here. And um, another customer and I, we just got to talking six feet away, obviously, from each other. But it was, a, it was a deeper conversation. We both went to the same space of, man, I hope we can do this when we're back to whatever normal is. And my wife and I went for a drive today just to pick up lunch for the family. And we noticed a family out on their bikes and another family walking together. And it's just, it's really kind of cool. I mean, i like you, we're looking forward to getting back to where we are seeing our yeah. students and our, our stakeholders every day, but let's make the most of this and let's get closer to each other yeah. in, a, in a weird way. Social distancing, yet we're getting closer. Yep. Sort of ironic. I have the words written down here um, because I saw this in, a, in an email from uh, your team. The words unlikely partnerships. Uh, I know you've got some unlikely partnerships that you're certainly doing now because of the crisis that we're in. But I get from how I've known you over the last decade plus that you're always looking for unlikely partnerships. The likely ones are the easy ones. Talk to yeah. us a little bit about some of these unlikely partnerships from the past or currently or what you're looking to create. Yeah, conceptually, the idea is that, you know, real creativity and innovation comes in unexpected ways. And I mean, somebody decided at some point that there was going to be, uh, that you could add, you could take a pair of high tops and you could add some wheels to it and make roller skates, right? Yeah. Somebody yeah. decided that at some point in time. Chocolate and peanut butter. Who, who knew, right? Exactly. <laughs> right? And, and those are the types of like magic moments that you need to create. So, you know, that's why it's important to, to take every meeting that you can. Mm -hmm. And not everything leads to something, but... If it's not a partnership for me, it may be a partnership for, for somebody else. 
Um, one of the things that we're committed to at TGR Foundation when we started is our programs are really designed the around the idea of helping young people prepare for life after high school. So we talk a lot about careers and uh, try to position our work so that young people understand why do I have to be in algebra? Why I don't want I don't like physics. I'm never going to use it. And why do I need to write so much? And all of that, you know, all of that kind of commentary that is is common. It's not that kids are bored in school. If they don't get it, we need to make those meaningful connections. So if we can show them that hey, you know, you want to you want to fly, uh, you know, the next shuttle to outer space or whatever yeah. that vehicle is. This is why you need to have that math. Why you need to have those physics concepts. This is how you put all those things in, into play. Or you want to be a gamer. Okay, well, there's more to you know just being a gamer. What is it that you like about it? Let's sure. find out what you can do. And I think those better. types of partnerships are, are important to develop. So I didn't just take algebra so that I could teach my kids algebra. That's what I always said. <laughs> I'm in algebra so I can teach algebra to my kids so they can teach it to theirs. I actually, on one of your videos on your site, uh, a young student was interviewing Tiger and talked about, were talking, this student had gone to Western High School, which is where Tiger had gone. Yeah, and um, they talked about favorite subjects. And I, I think I was, and like most people are when they see it, a little surprised when they hear Tiger say physics. And then he tie and right when he said it, I thought, oh, yeah, physics, golf, flight of the ball, the, the trajectory and everything. And um, I, I love that. I actually love that he said that physics was actually one of his favorite classes. That's not, the, not something you'd hear a lot of people say. Yeah. What was uh, your favorite class growing up? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, that's a really good question. Uh, I liked history and social studies mm -hmm. a lot. Um, I, I probably am more of a humanities kind of gal, but I, I also, I like the sciences. I actually I majored in kinesiology. So, That's right. uh, you know, I have that kind of background as well. I just enjoyed school. I have yeah. always enjoyed Well, school. you stayed in it. You're still technically in it. Right? Yeah. yeah, once you find something you like, right? Make If you can make a career out of what you love, it's not work. I'm right. paraphrasing, obviously, but. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, education certainly, if they, you know, they say if you think education is expensive, then try ignorance, right? So it's really yeah. fun to be able to, to be in a position where you can educate. Anything else that you're leaning on right now? I know you've got the TGR uh, Create, TGR um, Explore. Explore, thank you. Yeah, I know you touched a little bit on Explore, and you're really working a lot with teachers and, and educators in, in some of those areas, even more so than students in a lot of ways. Is that correct? For sure. I mean, that's really, you know, that was a strategic move about five years ago to really kind of, we want to have, you know, Tiger's vision is to reach millions of kids all over the world. And we can't build centers like we have in Anaheim uh, all over the world. It's expensive and uh, just not maybe the best use of our time. But if we can actually change what's happening in the classroom, um, we have the chance to reach millions of kids very quickly and so that's i think something that we're really continuing to to focus focus on and and i guess global globally as well last year was a, a very busy year for for me with travel internationally and really trying to look at is it possible to um, take these concepts of what we're trying to do with teachers here and 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 make it appealing to a global audience and uh, interestingly enough, the challenges are not that different uh, yeah. that we're seeing in different countries. It's just, you know, you've got to start mobilizing people around an idea that they can make change. And the key comes back to those partnerships that education can't remain in a silo all by itself. It really relies on what's happening in business and industry. Sure. Um, and, and we should have that theme, you know, kind of throughout all the things that we do. So... Um, I think there's lots of synergy around the idea of unlikely partnerships and really making sure that, you know, education of children is everybody's responsibility. Sure. If someone wants to come and take a look at the center, what's the best way to do that? Uh, feel free to email me or send a note to our, on the website as well. I'm happy to show people around, take them on a tour. Um, they can become involved. They can volunteer if they want to financially support us, of course, that's wonderful and something that we're always, you know, very actively trying to engage, uh, you know, donors in the work that we're, that we're doing. 
Um, but I think the best way to really find out about us and figure out if we're a fit for you is to come on down and, and yeah. take a tour. And I think once we get clear of this current crisis, um, looking forward to getting back at it and having lots of people come see what we're doing. Yeah, I was actually talking with uh, with you and with Dan and others within the organization about uh, coming in. I do workshops for family-owned companies throughout Southern California, and we're definitely looking at bringing them in at some point. Number one, because I'm, I just think it's a really cool place where you work. Great people, great organization. Um, but yeah, there are. I, I think that there's opportunities for people that I know to get involved, whether it's mentoring or as a donor or whatever the case may be. Um, what, uh, what is the best thing about your job? Mm, gosh, the best thing about my job is, I, I guess, really just being able to, to share what we're learning with other people. And, and, um, I enjoy, so this has been an incredibly crazy couple of weeks, but I've gotten a lot of energy out of it just because it's an opportunity to really fill a need and and hopefully be able to serve the community that we you know are are so passionate about in, in education um, i like that variety of things it reminds me of the very first days of starting for the foundation and coming up with this idea of what we wanted to do programmatically and now we have the chance to actually um, do something along those same lines differently and leveraging technology to do it. And I think it's just been such a blessing to have so many different opportunities available. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't get told no very often. Uh, you know, it's really about, we'll try it out. Let's see what we can do. And when you, when you work in a place that gives you the trust that, to do those types of things, it makes it a joy to come to work every day. Yeah, you get to be creative. That's pretty awesome to be able to do that. Is there a correlation? I always wonder when Tiger wins the Masters last year, or he goes through a dry spell for a while. Do you see a correlation in anything there as far as donations or enthusiasm? Or I mean, I, I get that it's so much deeper than just how he does on the golf course. But do you yeah. see peaks and valleys with, with that correlate to his play? Well, yeah, of course. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but of course, when he's he's playing uh, and on, on stage, so to speak, um, people notice this a lot more than maybe when, when he's not playing. Um, but we have a good set of, you know, really consistent donors, um, both from corporate and, and foundations, individuals that uh, I think really believe in our work and have have been here with us for a long time uh, as well, but it's it's great when new people kind of discover us. Uh, we don't want to be a secret. We don't want anybody to not know what uh, you know Tiger Woods Charity is doing in, in the world because it's doing a heck of a lot of good. Sure. It sure would be great for for more people to, to know it and see it and support it. Frankly, do you have a personal favorite Tiger story? Oh, for me, oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me think. Um, Whether it's a personal interaction or just anything you've you've witnessed or heard about, you know, I I think. Well, I'll tell you the first time I met Tiger, um, there was a junior golf clinic that was going to be offered at uh, what is now the Learning Center driving range. Um, and so it was before they had torn the facility down and really kind of gotten busy on construction. So this was back in 2004, I guess it was. And uh, I introduced myself to him the first time and I just thanked him and I said, you have, you have no idea what you've done and, and what you're going to do by this, uh, by this facility. And he just, he stopped and he looked at me and he said, you really think so? And I said, oh, I know so. And I, I think genuinely he was not sure at that moment in time, um, but I, I think he is so, um, you know, committed to its success that, you know, this is a, a real person doing real work who really cares yeah. about not only the people in it, but the people that are also um, benefiting from the work. So uh, 
very lucky to to know him and feel like you know he's he's a family member yeah that's fantastic yeah when, no matter who you are whether you're tiger woods or not when someone validates a vision and a dream that you have especially someone with your educational background um, this isn't just a, hey, I want to build a place where kids can learn about science, technology, engineering, and math. This is a place where kids are preparing for college and preparing for life and parenthood and just society in general. And I've always been impressed with the kids when I come in there and, you know, the firm handshake and the how you doing, Mr. Hart. And just, you know, these are these are kids who are our future leaders. And every time I walk into into the the learning center there in Anaheim. It's been a couple of years, but each time I've gone in there, I come out of there feeling like, you know, our, our future's in pretty darn good hands. Yeah. So as you know, the name of our podcast and we are coming up to the close of the hour. So uh, out of respect for your time and, and uh, you know, before I ask my final question, just is there anything that you'd hoped that we could talk about or share that hasn't come up or just anything that's on your mind that uh, you'd like to share? And if not, I'll ask it. I'll, I'll get that out of you anyway in a question. But uh, before I do that, just wanted to give you a chance. I think we've covered a lot of ground. Okay. Well, then let me just ask my last question of you here. The title of the podcast is From the Heart, play on words for my last name, but also the reason why I do this is I like to have uh, – good, intelligent conversations with wonderful people like yourself who are making a difference in the world. And I've been very blessed to just in the few months that I've been doing this, that I've had a chance to talk to some pretty remarkable people, present company absolutely included. So I'll just ask you my final question. We'll wrap with this. Kathy, what's in your heart? Oh my gosh. Um, what's in my heart is that I, I truly believe in, in the goodness and possibility of every single human being. and uh, believe that I'm led in this lifetime to make sure that those stories are told and those mm. futures are realized. Awesome. We're kindred spirits. I can feel that. Not only the USC connection, by the way, and the golf <laughs> connection and the great parents connection, the educator connection. But yeah, we're here to make a difference in people's lives. We're not here for ourselves. We're here for everybody else. So Kathy, thank you so much, not only for your time today, but more importantly for what you do, uh, the lives that you're impacting and um, just the difference that you make. I mean, it's felt and the ripple is, is really big. So I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. It's uh, been a pleasure, a privilege to share with you today. My privilege. Thank you.